Now take your copy of the Word of God and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, if you're able to stand to honor God in the reading of His Word, we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 9. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. It begins with the word and, which means that what Paul is doing here is just a continuation of what he has been doing, so we have to connect the dots here at the beginning, and we will do that in just a few moments. Paul is continuing to pray, and this is how he prays. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment or insight, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Now the question is, what does that look like when what Paul prays for, what does it look like when that is present in our lives? Well, Paul takes us first to his life and he gives us an example of what he's praying for looks like in the real world, in real time. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that is, he's in jail. And he's in jail for the sake of the gospel. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident, become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As our brother John has already prayed this morning, we gather here and great comfort. There's a roof over our heads. Lights are on in the building. We can hear the air running through the vents to bring us comfort from the cold. We're not sitting on hard concrete or dirt. 
or uncomfortable chairs. We're gathered in a place that is surrounded by comfort and beauty. And yet our situation today is unique. It is unusually unique in the light of what is going on in the rest of the world for your people. Your people all over the world either have gathered on this Lord's Day or they will gather. Your people will come to outdoor settings in some countries. The dirt underneath the tree where they will meet has been swept clean. A pulpit has been put in place. Chairs have been put in place for those who cannot stand or sit on the dirt. And people will come. They will not drive in their cars because there are no cars to drive in. Some are blessed enough to have a bicycle. Others mostly will walk some distance from their place where they live where long before daylight this morning, they were up doing their chores, taking care of business in their house, bathing if water was available so that they could come to worship you today. Some in many places in the world will come today knowing how dangerous it is for them to gather, but there is nothing in the universe that could keep them from gathering Because they know that to be your child is to be a part of your family. And wherever your family is meeting near them, they will come. Some will come today to gather because they cannot not gather because life for them is so hard and persecution is so real and pain is so present. But they know there's joy in the house of the Lord today. Because Jesus is present. Because the word will be preached. Because prayer will be offered. Because the Holy Spirit is among those who gather. And in the midst of pain and persecution that is almost everywhere else in the world. Your people must gather because without it. Despair would reign and defeat would be present. But when we gather, we gather with joy. We gather with enthusiasm and excitement because it's here that we can feast on your word and experience your presence and be engaged by your spirit through your word and be taught your word, to grow in your word, to grow in the knowledge of your great name, and then to go from this place into a world that needs Jesus. And we go to take Jesus with us and to declare his glory and his greatness. God, come now, we pray, in the presence and power of your Holy Spirit and anoint the preaching and teaching of your word. That we might see together what you show us in your word, the 
essence of joy, not just in the life of the Christian, but in the life of the church. And those two always intersect. The life of the Christian and the life of the church are intersecting all the time. We know joy, not in isolation from the church, not in insulation from the church, not ever in our individual lives. We know it as we are intimately connected to brothers and sisters in a local gathering of believers where we can share together the beauty and the majesty of your great joy. May that be so today and this time we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I never knew how much prayer was a part of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi until I started studying this letter. I realized this letter from the very start is just absolutely soaked in and saturated by prayer. Paul tells us from the beginning what kind of prayer he is praying. We talked last week about uh, there being in the Bible all kinds of prayers. And these are prayers to God, and they're different kinds of prayers. And I believe God wants us to learn how to pray to God all kinds of prayers in all kinds of settings and in all kinds of circumstances. This prayer that Paul is praying is a very precise prayer for very pointed things. He is praying with precision. His focus is very Specific. We talked last week what he is about what he is praying for, and he is telling us how he is praying. He's praying with joy. His heart is filled with joy. Now just think about this. We'll come back to this in a few minutes. Where is Paul? He's under arrest for the gospel. Every day. He is being guarded by Roman soldiers with weapons. They're watching every move he makes. Paul says, my life right now is filled with joy and I am praying with joy. But then he comes to the passage that I just read and what he is doing here is telling us what he is praying for. He's praying with joy because of that precise thing for which he is praying. He sees it not only in his life, he sees it in the lives of the believers in the church in Philippi. Let's just remember from last week that when Paul says in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because he's praying with joy because when he looks at this church in Philippi and his connection with them and their connection with him, he knows their partnership. They're partners. Now, this word is a word that's very rich in the Greek language and it has to do with people who have core convictions, deep convictions. 
These core convictions shape everything about them, everything they think, everything they believe. It shaped, these core convictions shape the way these people behave. These core convictions bring a common commitment, and their common commitment, Paul says, he tells us what this is. I'm praying with joy because of your partnership in the, very specific, the gospel. One of our enemy's greatest ploys is to take the gospel, subtract from it, turn it into a gospel with which people would be very comfortable and communicate a gospel as the gospel. I think that he has been very successful in our country. I think our enemy has succeeded greatly in our churches in our country. And he's created the kind of Christianity that has some kinship with what Scripture teaches, but doesn't have kinship with what is the gospel. Now, there's a gospel in our day of simplicity. Just believe. You just got to believe. You got to have faith. There are people who believe, actually, that's the gospel. There's the gospel of sincerity. Uh, Just believe and make sure you're believing sincerely. That is the gospel. Now there is the half gospel that is presented as the whole gospel. Just accept Jesus. Just respond to Jesus. Just receive Jesus. All of which is profoundly true, but apart from the rest of it, it has no meaning. The gospel, the gospel is that every person in this room was born dead in our sins, dead in our sins. We were born from the moment we were birthed and birthed to pursue our own passions. And God brought us by his good grace under his standard, his law, and he showed us his standard You're born in sin. You want to be right with me? Do what I tell you in my law. Obey my law and you will be right with me. And our response to that from the time we can think is, we can't do that. And God's response is to send his one and only son into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. To bring him into the world as truly God and truly man, the most unique human who's ever lived in the world. To bring him under the standard of his law. And to give to him in this world everything that could be faced in the world, including temptations to sin. And Jesus was faithful, fully faithful. So that Jesus, sent from God, became acceptable to God. And as the only human truly acceptable to God because he kept the standard of the law, he became the only human who's ever lived that could then offer himself up to God 
as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be forgiven of our sins through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the cross, Jesus took our place so that when we understand what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and we cry out for the mercy and grace of God, we receive Jesus as Lord and we lay our lives before him to live for him. We've heard the gospel and believe the gospel and the gospel then begins to transform our lives. Paul says, I, I'm so joyful because... We have this partnership, not in a gospel, but the gospel. And I'm confident that this God who began a good work in you, this church that's wandering now, this church that's out of sorts now, this church that's facing conflict now, this church that is disturbed by the devil now, I'm confident that the God who began a good work in you is going to complete it. Because as, as he says, you are all partakers with me of grace. You share with me in my suffering because I'm in prison and you're there. And you share with me in sharing the gospel. And it is my prayer. Verse 9. It is my prayer. What he prays for is the reinvigorating presence and power of God in their lives that is expressed in joy. What Paul gives us here, I believe, is the DNA of joy, the spiritual DNA of joy joy. God wants his joy to be in you. Do you believe that? If you're a child of God, God wants to fill you and indwell you with his joy. Now he's going to show us what it looks like. There are seven things here. Look at them with me. I want you to see them in the passage. He speaks first about what is in us spiritually that gives us life, and this life is the essence of our joy. First, he says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. The word love here is the word for commitment. It doesn't have real emotional connotations. It is the love of a person who is surrendered, who is submitted, who is sold out, who is giving himself or herself completely. That's interesting here. The word love doesn't have an object. I'm praying that your love, for what, Paul? He doesn't tell us. Now, I believe what he means is that your love, first of, first of all, for God. That your love for God may abound, that it might be overflowing. Uh, Paul says that God has poured his love, 
His love for us through Jesus Christ by the power of His Spirit into our hearts. And when God pours His love into your heart, your heart fills up. And when it gets to the full line, what happens? Just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. Well, when it's overflowing, where does the overflow go? Goes to others. Uh, First of all, beginning in the church among brothers and sisters. Paul says, I'm praying that your love for me will abound more and more and it will be so overflowing that as it spills over, it is spilled out to brothers and sisters in the church. I was so sad this morning to hear Glenn tell me as when I walked in about Celine, I had no idea. You know where my brain went first? My brain had pictures in my head of many of you in this room who loved her, cared for her, ministered to her, reached out to her, sustained her, supported her, called her to growth in Jesus. So many of you. Your love for Jesus was overflowing to minister to her. This is where joy comes from. Joy doesn't come from turning into ourselves and living for ourselves. Joy comes from giving up our right to anything and giving ourselves to others. Because we've given ourselves to the God who saved us by his grace. Secondly, Paul says, if you're going to know joy, you've got to be growing in knowledge. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. This word knowledge moves in two directions at once, intellect and intimacy. You can't have one of those without the other. You can't love God with all your heart if you don't love him with all your mind. You can't feel your way to God. Feelings are important. God stirs us by his Holy Spirit. Praise his name. But he also transforms our minds. You can't know God if you don't know doctrine, theology, that fuels and flames a desire to know God more and more. Knowledge has to do with facts. Knowledge has to do with truth. Knowledge has to do with belief. Knowledge has to do with the Bible, knowing the Bible, knowing the Bible for what the Bible is. Parents, why do you bring your children to Sunday school on Sunday morning? Because you want them to know the Word of God, right? You want them to hear the truth of God. Parents, why do you spend time with your children during the week teaching them the Bible? And I pray you do. Why do you do that? Because they can't know God without knowing His Word. It's not possible. Why do you bring them to Awana on Sunday night? 
So you can go to Walmart while they're here. <laughs> oh, you could come to worship and experience less pain than going to Walmart anytime, right? No, you bring them because you want to keep pouring them the word of God into them so that they know God's word. We have no hope of joy in our lives apart from the knowledge of the word of God. And Paul says, and he says it in this order because this is always the order that our love for God is to be abounding. Our love for one another is to be abounding. And that will happen as we're growing in the knowledge of God and growing in the knowledge of God leads us to growth in insight or discernment. The word for insight here or the word translated discernment in the ESV is only used here in the whole Bible. It's the only time in the whole Bible you'll find this one word. It's used in other sources, and in other sources it means when you judge something by the light of the sun. That means you take something and you lift it up to the sun. The sun shines through it and you can see. It was used in the Greco-Roman world for testing coins. When the Roman currency became the predominant currency in the Roman Empire, the predominance of Roman currency produced another business. You know what it was? Counterfeit money. So the Romans had to then develop a third business, which was a business to be able to determine the counterfeit from the real. That is what the knowledge of the Word of God does for us. It grows us and grows us and grows us so that we're able, with the wisdom of God, through the knowledge of the Word of God, to discern the real from that which is not real. You know, one of my great fears as a pastor in our day is that most of us, most of us, have gotten so intensely and incredibly involved in so many good things, and they are good things, that we've lost the ability spiritually to determine what is good from what is best. We've lost the ability to discern between what we really desire and what is really essential. I can assure you, child of God, that the world in which we live is filled with people. So if you're following the crowd, I can tell you where you're going. The crowd is chasing what is good, not what is best. The crowd is chasing what the crowd desires, not what is essential. And God has called us as his people to be distinct from the world, to be separate from the world, to be his people. We're not chasing those things. We may, 
We may participate in things that are good and things that are to be desired, but we know that they have no ultimate or infinite meaning. We are committed to Jesus. We're committed to the Lordship of Jesus. When you have that love that God gives you through Jesus Christ and it's overflowing in your life and it leads you to desire to know God more and more through his word, fed by his spirit so that you have the wisdom to discern what is necessary, joy comes. Joy comes to our lives. The next three have to do with The spiritual DNA for living life in this world. Living life in this world, I think, for believers in our culture is harder than it's ever been. And it's going to get harder. So we better know, we better know first that we need proper priorities. Paul says, going back to verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that, here's the reason, living your life, you need to know this, so that you may approve what is excellent. To test it, to examine it, to set aside those things that are not necessary, not to chase after everything. So you can have the proper priorities. How many of us know that, that what our priorities are are not revealed in what we say? They're revealed in what we do. You will know my priorities by watching whatever it is to which I give my time and energy. Now you know. I can stand in this pulpit or with you face to face and say, I love Jesus with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, and then live as if he doesn't exist. Because I'm so captured and consumed by the wrong priorities because I'm listening to the wrong people. Joy comes when our priorities are clear and we're pursuing the proper priorities. Joy comes when our character is clear. Paul says, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure. He uses two words here. They are to be to, they are together, but they are distinctive. Pure has to do with our spiritual life, our devotion to Jesus. We love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus. We love talking with brothers and sisters about Jesus. We like sitting around a table at church and talking about what Jesus is doing in our lives. And we don't find that odd. We find it wonderful and beautiful. Because no one is more important to us than Jesus and we want to grow in him and love him more and more and serve him and we want to talk about him. Blameless has to do with our morality. We want to be morally proper. We want to say the right things, do the right things, think the right things, be 
someone who is dif- distinctively different from this world. Pure and blameless. Pure and blameless doesn't make you some kind of odd person. It makes you a God person. And it brings joy. There is a general absence of joy among Christians today. It's evident. And it's not somebody else's fault, friend. It's ours. Because if we're really honest before God, we find ourselves almost every day caught in a tug of war between the word of God and the ways of the world every day. And we think it's normal. Don't don't keep fighting the tug of war. Let go of the rope. The world has nothing to give you. Soak yourself in the word of God and the way of God and the worship of God among truly the, the true people of God who are seeking that for themselves. And find joy. Sixthly, it's fruit producing. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. The fruit It's singular. The Holy Spirit working in us, the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, producing this fruit that shows love and joy and peace. All that fruit that is together because God is at work in our lives. I'm doing this series on Sunday night called Doctrines for Living, and we're in the section now where we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. I can't wait to get to that place in a few weeks where we're going to talk about what Paul says. We're to walk in the Spirit. We're to live in the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. Everything in our lives is to be ordered by the Spirit, and when that is true, then the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow on the tree of our life. Impossible? No. No. Impossible if we keep thinking we can walk along with those captured by this culture regardless of what they say about themselves being Christian and still live in commitment to Jesus. We're at a time... We're at a time when something's got to give. God's looking for those who are saying, no more, no more. I'm all in. I'm all in for Jesus. All in. What does it produce? It produces real righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. This is how Paul ends this section. We're filled with this fruit. This fruit is there. 
And it's the result of righteousness. We're right with God because we've given ourselves to Jesus Christ. And our goal in life is very simple. We want to live our lives to the glory and to the praise of God. So what does it look like? Paul says, he makes a turn in verse 12. (laughs) He shows us what it looks like in his own life. This is not boasting, this is reality. Verse 12 begins with the words, I want you to know. Those words are used often in Paul's writings, and they're always used in the same context. Here's the context. Somebody is concerned about Paul. So they send a message to him. You okay? How would you respond if if you had someone that had gone to another place to serve God and they got arrested, what would you write them? You okay? They're assuming he isn't. Wouldn't we assume he isn't? The dude's in jail. So Paul writes back. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Am I okay? I've never been better. Because they put me in prison. And they connected me with soldiers from the Praetorian Guard. Now that may mean nothing to you, but let me tell you about these people. There were only 9,000 of them in the whole Roman army. And they were hand-picked. These were special ops people. These were very smart military men. They paid them double. Why would you pay them double? Because when you do what they do, you have a short lifespan. They gave them special privileges. They sent them to the most remote places in the world. Paul got that. So they put them in charge of me. What am I going to do? I'm going to tell them about Jesus and God is going to save some of them. And they're going to go out during their break and they're going to tell others about Jesus. And when they go to wherever they go to the ends of the earth, they're going to take Jesus with them. Why are you asking me if I'm okay? I've never been better. Prison has become my pulpit and all the pain here has begun to platform for the proclamation of the gospel. He is filled with joy. Because he's owned by Jesus. And his life means nothing to him. In fact, he says... And most of the brothers, verse 14, they've become confident in the Lord. They've seen what I've been doing and it's encouraged them. (laughs) And they become more bold. So I got these soldiers out here sharing the gospel. The church is sharing the gospel like they've never shared the gospel. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. Look, there are people in our day preaching the gospel for all kinds of false motives. Paul has so much to teach me. Because I see those false motives. I know those false motives. I know what they're after. I want to be like Paul. I'm not. I get mad. You know what Paul says? What then? Because the power of God to save people is not in the methods and it's not in the motives. It's in the message. As long as the message is out there. When joy is in your life, when joy is in your life, it can only come through Jesus being Lord, fully Lord. You sold out to him. Joy comes. When it comes, your conditions, your conditions cannot shake your joy. Your circumstances do not shape your joy. No matter what is going on, Joy is there because joy comes from the one who is in your life who's never going away and has chosen to use the worst circumstances in life to grow his children in joy. There are times in my life that I wished that I'd have never agreed to get on an airplane and go overseas to a foreign country to preach the gospel. I mean that sincerely. My life would be a lot easier. My understanding of the gospel would be a lot more American My burden, my burden would be lighter. I went the first time because I got manipulated. I didn't know it till after I'd gone. But I went to Liberia where I saw Christians that were under the worst situations I'd ever seen in my life. But I can lay my head on my pillow at night and I can see my brothers and sisters there. And the joy, just the exuberant joy. I came home from that trip and thought, that's just one place. But as I kept going, I've seen more joy real joy in the most difficult circumstances I've ever seen in my life than I've seen in our context. We're too distracted by too many things. Would God so move in your heart and mine 
that we would see that there is only one reality worth chasing with everything you've got. And that's being faithful to Jesus who loved you and died for you. His faithfulness is worth living for and dying for. You want the bonus? It will fill you up with never-ending joy. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to figure out joy by ourselves. But you've shown us how we can have it and know it and live it and love it and long for it more and more. So help us. Oh, God, help us to seek it with everything in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.